Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 252. I don't know why. Every single time I'm like, holy shit, that's so many, but it's <laughs> literally every episode. But still, I can't believe we've maintained it. I'll tell you what I haven't maintained. Pedicures. And I need one right now. The list was endless. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to let her finish that sentence. <laughs> So I don't stick my foot in my mouth. Yeah, don't stick my foot in your mouth because... Gross! <laughs> my toenails will cut you. Okay, well, why, why are we sharing that information? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, but I do have some information to share. Some of y'all might know Morgan in, in the Facebook group. She's a moderator, all the things. Well, we've known her for years now. And, like, four years. Yeah. Um close with her, all the things. She's a lovely person. She has half her family listening to our podcast. Thanks. Last week, I covered Bill Vale's story about the years of paranormal activity. And Brian Hall was a lead investigator on Paranormal Witness. Even though I said Paranormal Survivor, I don't know what my brain was doing. But anyway, he reached out to me on Facebook and I was like, oh my God. And then it had Morgan's husband as our mutual friend. And I was like, wait, what? Oh yeah, they're in Texas. So that makes sense. Because everybody in Texas knows each other. Do you know how big that state is? (laughs) I know. I know. I pulled a patty. My mama, that's exactly how she thought. But then I was getting all excited. Like, oh my God, like our SEO must be amazing because someone who was involved with that found us. Which knowing that nothing, (laughs) that we, nobody can find us anywhere. No. (laughs) Besides a McDonald's. Anyway, then Morgan said, oh my God, on today's episode... You're talking about my uncle, Brian. And I was like, wait, what? Well, it turns out that we know his wife, his two daughters, yeah, all the things. And so I'm like, not Kevin Bacon, Morgan. That's <laughs> who it is. <laughs> I said, I think your family is more involved in this podcast than me and Carrie's combined. I love it, though. I'm here for me it. We too. love them all. Yes. But anyway, that long-winded story to tell y'all that Bill is now married and living in Arkansas. He'd gotten the house to where he felt like it was safe for someone else to come in. Like there wasn't a lot of activity or anything. And so he is living his best life. You know who else is living their best life? Patreoners! Ooh, Well, yes. I, you know, I hope. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Catherine C. from Florida. Heather J. from Kentucky. Okay, don't know why you screamed it, but Leanne L. from South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and Jaya J. from New Hampshire. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. Look, they're getting an episode extra a week of this nonsense, a card in the mail with stickers, a live every single month. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Donna even makes wallpapers for your phone. So if you want all that jazz, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. So Colby and I, for like two episodes, I've been meaning to talk about this, but I don't think I have, but I may have, unsure. Anyway, we watched the show Dead to Me. Y'all are dead to me. No, I'm just joking. Have I talked about it? No, you haven't talked about it on here. Okay. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's with Christina Applegate. Love her. At the very beginning of the show, it starts off with her husband dies from a hit and run car accident. So, you know, obviously dead to me. It deals with death. Every single episode for sure of the first season, I was like, (gasps) you know, at least once. But I did not realize how much the death of like her spouse and her like going through the grieving process, like all the people in the show's different grieving processes were going to affect me so much. Like sometimes it was just because my dad died so recently, not like the show's great and they did a great job. But I mean, I was just like, shit, sometimes it was very heavy for me. And Colby's over there whistling Dixie and I'm like freaking bawling my (laughs) eyes out. Okay, not really. But there were moments that I feel like hit hit me way harder than they should have. But I was like, damn, I see you, Christina Applegate. Yeah, I only watched the first season. Well, I watched the first season. The second season, I was on my phone a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, I just didn't keep my attention. So I haven't watched the rest of it yet. The first and the second. Well, for sure, the first season, I never picked up my phone, which is a huge deal for me. I bet people at Candy Crush were like, why? What is going on? Yeah, they were like, is our system down? (laughs) Most of the second season, I didn't pick it up, but I did the third season. I feel like it probably could have wrapped up in two seasons, but it was still really good. Now we're on, um, what's it called? The Center with Jessica Biel and uh, Bill Pullman. Oh my God. I know, we're late to the party. 
Yes. But you know, I don't love Jessica Bill. Sorry if she listens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a laugh. <laughs> I couldn't even, even get it out. Oh, God. But man, I love Bill Pullman. Mm-hmm, me too. But see, Bill Pullman has lost his allure to me because now he reminds me so much of one of my brother-in-laws. He's not sexy no more. <laughs> but Bill Pullman in uh, While You Were Sleeping can get it. You hear me? <laughs> I will say, The Sinner, the first season, phenomenal. Second season, was eh, it was okay. Third season, <laughs> it was okay. Like, mm-hmm. But that first season was amazing. Bill Pullman stays amazing the whole time. I just think they kind of drag stuff out so much. I feel like that's just all shows now. Like, I'm like, this could have been three episodes and it's eight, you know? Yeah. Y'all, my sister Casey, she has an eight-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. Let me just say, this bitch is in trouble with her daughter. So, her daughter is pretending that she's on the phone the other day and... She tells her mom that she was on the phone with her boyfriend, and he's going to come over for a sleepover. She's five. And Casey was like, you can't have sleepovers with boys. And she said, well, why not? Then she proceeds to tell her mom, well, he can come over and sleep with Cole, and then I can play with him. (laughs) Bitch already plotting how Uh to be. I'm like, ooh, you in danger, girl. (laughs) She's sassy. She's cute. And she's smart. Oh, my God. Oh. Casey said this morning, apparently uh, her daughter got all A's on her little report card in kindergarten, and they were like, you know, giving her praise, like, you're so smart, blah, 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 blah. And she said, I'm a rock star at school. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I could just see her with her little head shake, her little side eye being like, I'm a rock star at school. Okay, but tell them about her singing in the shower. Oh my God, y'all. She sings that fight song, that... That was terrible. But anyway, so Casey films her singing in the shower. And first of all, she, girl, after my own heart, she don't know, not near one of them damn words. (laughs) Like she doesn't even know this is my fight song. (laughs) And that is very clear in that song. (laughs) Like I know what they're saying. (laughs) So she's singing something about putting it down. I don't even know what she's saying, but she is belting it. And like mid-belt chokes on the water in the shower. (laughs) And it just like keeps going with her song. Oh, Oh my God. I mean, like literally does not miss a beat of her song as she's choking on, you know, aspirating freaking water. (laughs) That was so funny. You know what? I felt her on that moment. Yes. Yep. Been there, girl. Been (laughs) there. See, the last story. That's funny. Kids are cute. The first ones, I'm like, oh, no, this is why I can't have kids. Yes. Uh Uh-uh. But I finally downloaded a new game. I mean, look, Candy Crush, Toy Blast, they're always going to have my heart. (laughs) But before my dad died, he always played Royal Match on his phone. And since I now have said phone, I was like, I got to download this because I get ads for it all the time. Yeah. And it's so much fun because it's, it's like how with Toy Blast, I had been playing Candy Crush so long that I'm decent at it. So, like, I'm, like, jumping through levels so fast. (laughs) I've been playing it, like, four days and I'm on, um... Level 140. Damn. Meanwhile, it took me six months to get there in Candy Crush. (laughs) I'm like, can you send me a life? (laughs) Oh my God. Send me a ticket. I need to get to the next episode. Yeah, someone posted in the group and they were like, Donna mentioned she liked phone games. And I was like, nope, that was Carrie. That would be Carrie. (laughs) Well, before we get into the other shenanigans of this episode, we got to talk about BetterHelp because this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about y'all, but, you know, I start January and I'm like, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Going to be different than last year. But then I get bogged down in other things. It's like I have four goals, but then I have mini goals within those goals. Mm -hmm. And then bullet points and all the things. And then I'm like, I can't do it. I feel overwhelmed. But BetterHelp can help me. And you feel better about that because then I have someone to talk to about it and they can help me get closer to the best version of me and you the best version of you. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and you do it entirely online. To start, you just fill out a brief questionnaire that helps you get matched with a licensed therapist. 
But that's kind of been one of my biggest fears about starting therapy. What if you don't jive with them? What if they don't get you? You know, because sometimes I, sometimes people just don't get me. It's not because I'm especially clever or anything. It's just like, <laughs> I'm just, I just have like a, a niche group. Hey, you know what? I get you. Exactly. But if you get paired with a therapist that you don't mesh with or they don't get you, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is a huge deal because you really do have to try and find that person that fits you. And the main thing, like Carrie said, is it's done online. So that means that's less pressure on you because I know that I will make a mountain out of a molehill and I'm like, I have to put a bra on. I have to put shoes on. I have to go outside in the cold. I'm not going to go then. Well, I have no excuse to not go to therapy with better help because it's all online. It's all convenient to me. I don't have to put a bra on. I could be in the bathtub, honestly, if I really wanted to. I mean, I feel like they'd probably frown upon that. (laughs) But what do I know? When you have an appointment during the day, you've got to take off work, leave work, drive to set appointment, come back, clock back in, all the things. But with better help, you're saving a lot of time. Uh, Sure, you may still have to clock out for work. But with BetterHelp's flexibility, you may not even have to do that because you could schedule it at a different time. But you're still going to save time because you're not having to go anywhere. And gas is expensive, y'all. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com APC to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash APC. And that will get you 10% off your first month. Speaking of being overwhelmed with various resolutions, if one of your resolutions is to feel better about yourself, Care Of is the perfect place to start. Care Of is a subscription-based service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. Maybe one of your resolutions is to be healthier, have more energy, have better gut health. Care Of is, well, caring for you. Oh, gosh. I mean, you're not wrong. It's just the delivery of it. Care of can help you feel more in control of your health goals this year. And that's with personal guidance, quality products, and encouraging healthy habits so you can feel and see results. All you have to do is take a short, in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, your health goals, for a personalized, doctor-backed recommendation that's going to take the guesswork out of what supplements are best suited for you. And even better, they come straight to your door. So no more going to the market and looking at all these different supplements and going, oh my God, I don't know the difference between B, C, D, and G. I don't know what to do. Care of takes the guesswork out of it. The vitamin aisle really does overwhelm me because I have no idea. So I really have relied on care of to help a girl out. But also, can we just talk about Carrie always saying, go into the market? All I think about is three little pigs. Okay, well, I don't know how many toes you have, but I have five, and they all... <laughs> this little piggy is what I meant. Yeah, and, and only one of them goes to the market. Oh, yeah. And you know what that stands for. Uh-huh. Okay. When you get your shipment of all of the recommended things, it comes with a little customized pamphlet that shows you exactly what you're getting, and again, taking the guesswork out. But my favorite part is that the vitamins and supplements that you do get comes in individual daily packets. So it's not like, oh, let me get all these pills out. It's just like, let me just zoop that right open and take them. Or if you're like me and you can't just do that because you have a lot of other medications, you can just open them, empty them into your pill minder. And that is a thing, Carrie. And it's easy because it's already pre-portioned for you. So head on over to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code CREEP50 for 50% off your first Care Of order. Well, let me parrot you for a minute because if you go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEP50, you get 50% off your first Care Of order. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com and enter code CREEP50, C-R-E-E-P-5-0. Ooh. I'm going to talk about Patience Worth, a world-famous author who has long been forgotten, but there's a chance she may have never even existed. Okay, well, I thought you meant, like, at a hospital, Patience, and I was like, we know their worth. (laughs) Oh my god, of course you go there. But before we go to Patience, not spelled how you're thinking... 
We need to first talk about Pearl Curran. She was born in Illinois on February 15th, 1883. When she was still very young, like infant young, her parents and she moved to Texas and then later to Missouri, which is where she really calls home. She spent the better part of her childhood and adult life there in St. Louis, Missouri. Her father was a newspaper editor and her mother was a singer, and they both had big plans for Pearl. However, Pearl was smart, but academics just were not her forte. She was a C or below average student, even though she applied herself to the best of her abilities. Pearl ended up quitting school after her freshman year of high school. They say that Pearl had a nervous breakdown from all the studying and the stress related to it. And so, you know, she left and she didn't go back. So fast forward to when Pearl is 24. She met and married John Curran. John was 39 years old, divorced, and a single father of a six-year-old girl named Julia Francis. John lived a comfortable lifestyle, but there wasn't anything too wild going on. He just had a good, stable job and a lot to offer someone who needed a less stressful lifestyle. John offered Pearl a life of leisure, and Pearl would be Julia Francis' mother then, so John would have that female role that he wanted and someone to help him raise his daughter. Now, there is speculation that Pearl wanted to be with her teenage sweetheart, Robert Wyman, but Pearl's mom was like, oh no, honey, you need to be with John. He can provide a better life for you, so go with him. So Pearl did exactly that. But here's what she didn't take into consideration. And this reminded me of the person you covered on Lady Killers on Patreon, Mm -hmm. because she didn't consider how boring a life of leisure could be for her. She enjoyed it, but also she's like, we just go to the movies. We just go out to eat. That's all we do. I'm like, um, that sounds amazing. I'm like, sign me right the fuck up. (laughs) And I don't have to work? Awesome. The shit just gets paid for? I'm down. (laughs) However, Pearl did have a good friend who ended up bringing some excitement into her life. Her name was Emily Grant Hutchins. She was a freelance writer and was into spiritualism. And we've talked about the spiritualism movement. It was really big after wartime because there was so much death. And a lot of people wanted that one last chance to see and to contact their lost loved ones. And in the fall of 1912, Emily said she wanted Pearl to try the Ouija board, which was really popular in spiritualism. It was viewed more as a game, nothing scary like it is today. Like you say Ouija board and we're all like, ooh, don't say it again, Mufasa. You know? I swear when you did that, I was immediately (laughs) thinking Mufasa. (laughs) But back then it was just a portal, but not a scary one. But Pearl had no interest in spiritualism or anything like that. But she had recently lost her father. So as Emily described what the Ouija board could do, Pearl, you know, she skeptically agreed to participate. So as her husbands played pinochle in the other room, those two women pulled out the Ouija board and tried to connect with someone from the other side. Their first session had some gibberish and also something thought to have been one of Emily's deceased family members came through. But Pearl remained skeptical of this whole newfangled toy that Emily had introduced her to. But Emily was amazed. And so they were using Emily's friend's Ouija board. And so Emily went out and bought her own. And Mary, Pearl's mother, who was now living with Pearl and her husband because of the father's death, they were like, hey, um, Mary, will you transcribe what we're saying? Because it was kind of hard to remember what it's spelling out. And this is just my example, but if they were saying C-U-N-T, they might not be able to form the word in their mind, but if their mom had written it down, told them, they can clearly see it says cunt. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were much more of a lady than I am, but you know what I mean. But nothing astounding happened until July 8th, 1913, months after they had first started. This night was different than before. The planchette seemed to zoom across the board. And they excitedly yelled out letters to Mary to write down. And what the message from the Ouija board said was, Many moon ago I lived. Again, I come. Patience worth 
my name. And that certainly piqued their interest. And so they continued trying to make contact with patients. Over several sessions, she answered their questions about who she was. Patients said that she was from the 17th century. She said that her home was across the sea. And I'm like, oh, she's talking about England, but we're so close when we say across the pond. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of coaxing to get answers out of patients. But over time, they did discover more about her. She said that she was an only child, like Pearl, and was around 35 years old when she died. She had dark, wavy hair with brown eyes. She had followed her father over to America after the death of her mother. But when she reached America, and I believe it was Nantucket where she lived, it wasn't long before she was killed by Native Americans. And seriously, they did not learn this all in one sitting. It was over several occasions. Patience had a mind of her own, and it was a strong mind. She was stubborn, and she was feisty. Another thing about Patience, she did speak in a cadence and use the lingo you would imagine someone from the 17th century using, so sometimes it was hard to understand what she was saying. But what Patience was clear about was that even though Emily was the one into spiritualism and was the driver of most of these sessions, Patience didn't want to communicate with her. She wanted Pearl. Emily wasn't too keen about that because, hello, she was the one who was interested in all of this, but Patience had chosen her person, and it was Pearl. Patience's way of talking was completely different than Pearl's, but they understood each other, and soon they weren't just having conversations. Patience started to dictate short poems to Pearl, and Pearl was amazed at how special these poems were and just how beautiful they sounded. And Pearl was not one to be interested in literature or the arts or anything like that. So it was a feat that Patience had gained her full attention. Fast forward to 1915, and John, Pearl's hubby, was the one who would transcribe the sessions. Patience started to write longer poems and even started writing novels. Word got out to their neighbors that Pearl was like a medium of sorts with the spirit. So they started hosting patients' parties and would supply like a buffet of food, cigars, all the things for their guests to attend. And they could ask patients some questions via Pearl with the Ouija board. But patients made it known that she wasn't into knowing the future of some stranger or anything. No, I don't know the lottery numbers. You know, she didn't have time for that. Like, don't ask if you're going to find true love because she don't give a flip. Oh, Patience is uh, PG? Yeah. (laughs) Apparently so. My mouth wanted to say fuck, and then it said flip. It was very weird. Everyone would always leave pleasantly surprised at the spectacle they had witnessed. Some claimed it was a miracle before their very eyes. But of course, there were skeptics, and they too would attend those Patience parties. One of the skeptics, he was like, you know, to patience, you know, you know, your name was used in To Have and To Hold, which was a popular romance novel published in 1900. And Pearl was like, I've never read that. I don't care for books or anything. And she didn't say this to them, but she wasn't a good like student. That was all hard for her. But patience was like, oh, you about to fuck around and found out. But she quipped back a phantom Prove thyself to me. Basically, like, you're calling me a fake and a liar, but how do we know you're not a fucking liar? Back the fuck up. I'm sure that man really liked that. Uh Uh-huh. Especially given the year. Yeah. Soon, it was like Pearl was channeling Patience and could visualize the words that Patience was dictating to her. There came a time that they didn't need to use the Ouija board as their main form of communication. Pearl said it was like... Quote, I'm a child with a magic picture book. Once I look upon it, all I have to do is watch its pages open before me and revel in their beauty and variety and novelty. When the poems come, they also appear before my eyes, images of each successive symbol as the words are given to me. When the stories come, the scenes become panoramic with the characters moving and acting their parts, even speaking in converse. The picture is not confined to the point narrated, but it takes in everything else within the circle of vision at the time. 
And people would see this while they attended those parties because even though Pearl was a medium with patients, she was never lost in trance or anything. She spoke for the both of them. You know, patients had her witty quips and kind of archaic language and, you know, like think of a Shakespearean play and that's about what she was speaking. Well, I mean, I just heard that quote you just did and I didn't understand half of it. Well, that was just Pearl. Oh. So imagine that being patients. I don't have the patience for that. Oh, God. Well, and then Pearl in her softer, more modern phrasing. So it really was like two different people. This relationship between Pearl and patience was something people had never seen before. They didn't understand. Some gave it the side eye, but most enjoyed it with wide eyes of amazement. Everyone but Emily. Remember her friend who introduced her to it? Mm Mm-hmm. In a heat of jealousy, Emily wrote to James Hyslop, who was the head of the American Society for Cyclical Research. He came, he, you know, witnessed a session, and he just didn't buy it. So he, like, had this scathing review of her, calling her a fraud, a liar, um, money-hungry, just looking for the limelight. And I'm like, basically, you're just saying what Emily's telling you. Like, come on. Pearl did go see someone, and I did not write down his name, but he saw the sessions and he's like, okay, well now I want to hypnotize you. But Pearl was so scared that something might change the way she was able to communicate with patients. But patience meant more to her than proving a naysayer right or wrong, so she declined. Over countless sessions, patience became an author. She would dictate for hours And in 1917, her first novel was published. It was titled The Sorry Tale, and it was about Palestine during the time of Jesus. Some historians thought that it was the best novel, or one of them, written about Jesus. And the New York Times gave it high praise. In total, Patience ultimately wrote over 5,000 poems and three books. Jeez! Yeah, she was highly regarded as a literary mastermind who bordered on genius at times. But again, there were several skeptics. What they believed, Pearl was a fraud and that she had memorized stories that she would then say patients dictated to her so she would always have things to say at the parties. And and then some took a more scientific approach And they believe that the writings were coming from Pearl's subconscious. Basically, like, Pearl and Patience were the same person, but Patience was a split personality of Pearl's. That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, does she have borderline personality disorder? Right. But people balked at that because they were like, well, if that's the case, only Patience or only Pearl would have been there through all of it. They say that normally only one dominant personality at a time. And to go further into it, you know, I said she was never in a trance. She never lost her voice. It was just like she gained another. Also, people were like, not to call Pearl dumb, but she didn't have a great education. She wasn't well-traveled. She wasn't well-read. How would she be able to accurately write about these places she had never been to, time periods she didn't live in, you know, all the things? Because also, they didn't have Google back then. Yeah, but, you know, people have come out of comas or, you know, their alternate personality, like, speaks another language. Yeah, but isn't that kind of paranormal? I don't think so. The body is paranormal. Supernatural. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's paranormal. Not paranormal. There's just so much we don't know about it, though. Like, how does somebody literally wake up from a coma and have an accent or speak another language or all of a sudden no ASL or whatever. Yeah. And to keep going about Pearl and her education, there were times during the sessions where patients would get mad because Pearl didn't understand what she was showing her. Like if she showed a certain bird or something and Pearl didn't know its name, patients would like scoff and be like, you're a fucking twit. I mean, not that, but blah, 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 blah. And later on, Pearl and John would look it up like in an encyclopedia And it was, in fact, what patients had said. You know, like, how did you not know that was the yellow belly blah, blah, blah? Right. You know, and they're like, I fucking know. Look up this. And it is that. 
And then there are some people who said she's just in it for the fame and the money, but she published under Patience name, not her own. And her and her hubby threw those parties where they purchased all the food, all the favors and all the things, but never charged anyone to attend. They actually lost money with the whole patience thing. And they did a magazine so they could keep like just things that didn't fit in a book or anything like that. They wanted to get her word out and they lost like $4,000 just trying to do that. And that's not adding in all the parties and all the things. Yeah, but if they were cheating, lying, whatever, it was a means to an end. It becomes a little strange because Patience had a lot of sway over Pearl. And in 1916, Pearl and John had tossed around the idea of adoption. They loved Julia Francis, but Pearl wanted more kids. And Patience was like, yeah, do it, and convinced them to move forward with their plan. Patience also predicted the baby would be a girl. On October 7th of 1916, Patience grew stubborn, and she did not want to continue that session that night. She said there is something important happening at this moment, and it was at 8 p.m. that night. Well, the next day, Patience was proven to be correct again, because at 8 p.m. that night, the night before, their new baby girl had been born. Do you want to know what they named it? Patience. Yep. Patience Worth. Patience said, damn right. Yeah, she wanted that. And they would call her Patience Wee because she was a wee little one, as Patience would say. John Curran died in 1922. And after that, the connection with Patience seemed kind of fuzzy. It wasn't like before. They did go on a little tour, her and Patience, you know, but ultimately Pearl moved to California She did remarry twice, and the last was to her teenage sweetie, Robert Wyman. And in the fall of 1937, Patience spoke again to Pearl, but she didn't have great news. And so Pearl relayed that message to a friend, and she said that Patience had just shown her the end of the road, and they'll have to carry on the best they could. That was in November, and no one believed it was true because Pearl was healthy, Like, nothing was wrong, but she soon developed pneumonia and died on December 3rd, 1937. And that was the last time anyone heard from Patience Worth as well. They were bonded for 22 years, and hopefully if Patience was real, both of their spirits are at peace now together. I was going to say, maybe they're best friends in the sky. I know, but Uh oh, I will say this. Pearl actually published something under her own name later in life, and it was called Rosa Alvaro Entrante. Um, I butchered that. But the main character was named Mamie, and she was a Chicago shop girl, like just kind of living a meh life. Nothing exciting, had to work, had, you know, living the grind. No joy, no wonder, until she met a fortune teller. And... Through that fortune teller, she found a spirit, and that spirit brought excitement into her life as well as money and a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And in that short story, Rosa knows that the spirit is not real, but acts like it is so she can continue to live her life more freely than she had before. It's written where the character Rosa tells Gwen, I love her. She's everything I want to be. Didn't I find her? It ain't me. It's what used to be me before the world buried it. So people look at this and they say, maybe that's what happened with Patience and Pearl. Maybe it was all a facade. But through Patience, Pearl was able to write and be published and be taken seriously by authors and literary greats where a humble housewife would never have been. So do you think it was like a confession in short story form Or do you think it was just Pearl using her life experiences and others' impressions of her to finally write something of her own? Was it like kind of like a little cheeky thing for the naysayers? I don't know, because she spent all that time trying to disprove the naysayers. So why would she just be like, hey, hey, you know? But so why would she confess through that then? If Patience is real, I don't think she would have... 
like tried to trick people like that because she spent all that time trying to convince them that she wasn't tricking them. Like, why would she put this work out that adds fuel to their fire? Okay, I see what you mean. I think she had borderline personality disorder. Yeah, I feel that too a little bit. Something was different. And she was kind of just disenchanted with her life and she wanted more. And then this gave her more. And like Rosa in her short story, Patience said all the things that Pearl could never say and get away with. You know, I mean, Patience, like I said, feisty and witty, all these things that women were not allowed to be. And just because she didn't do well in school and seem like the sharpest knife in the drawer doesn't mean that she wasn't. Okay, sometimes school's not for everyone, you know? it's Yeah, it's it's not. But some people who are really smart can really suck at school, but it's just because, like, they think differently. Mm -hmm. Also, someone had said that she could have had, like, not... What do you call it when you can just memorize everything? Like a photographic memory, but yeah, not that. It's but like it's like a real word. Yeah. And it's like so rare, but the people who do it, like they don't know they're remembering everything, but she could have heard something about whatever. So if she remembered stuff like that, she might not have known that she remembered that stuff, you know, and that was just completely new to her. So it's like, oh yeah, because if people tell you you're dumb, you're going to start believing that you're dumb, you know? So she's like, oh yeah, I'm whatever but then this happened yeah because it feels like they kept being like basically she stole the idea out of another book or something but um what book like yeah prove it what book (laughs) yes so don't be coming at her if you don't have the fucking receipts i think she was way smarter than people gave her credit for and that was her way of coping and dealing with things and it was borderline personality you know what's sad though Pearl doesn't even have her own Wikipedia page. It's under Patience Worth. All right. So this time I do have a recommendation since you came at me for not using recommendations. And this came from Creep Mom. Thanks, Creep Mom. This is a story of Charles Starkweather. Wannabe James Dean who... Hate him already. You should. (laughs) I don't know if he goes by Charlie, but that's what I'm calling him. So Charlie was born in Lincoln, Nebraska... And, you know, the classic, like, Wikipedia background of them. Third of seven kids. His mom and dad were both very working class. But here's the thing. His dad was a carpenter, but he had really bad rheumatoid arthritis. So he had a little hard time keeping jobs. As in your story with Pearl, Charlie was not good at school either. And to make matters worse for Charlie, he got picked on a lot because he was kind of short for a guy. He was 5'5", and he was, I don't even know if you can say this anymore, but bow-legged, and he had a speech impediment. So he got picked on. I mean, it was like the trifecta for him, and he got picked on a lot. But he was really good in PE. Really? Yeah, really good. So that was where he kind of came into his own and really took his anger out on the bullies. So, you know, they're playing kickball in the yard and he's going hard because he's good at it, you know? And that's where, like I said, he really takes that aggression from being bullied and all out on the people who bullied him. But for all intents and purposes, he was a nice guy and he grew up in a really loving family. So... What happened next was really shocking to the community. Well, eventually, Charlie dropped out of school because, like I said, he just had a really hard time. So in 1956, he's 18. He had been dating this girl, and I guess it didn't work out. So the girl actually introduced Charlie to her younger sister, Carol Ann Fugate. The problem is, I don't know why she introduced him to her. Because one, he was a bully because he had been bullied. And he just was this person that just, like, he seemed like a one-upper. Like, he always thought he was better than everybody else. And that he deserved better than everybody else. And he just was pretty much a narcissist, it it seems. But aside from all of that, Carol was 13. Oh, what? He was 18. Who says, let me introduce you to my younger sister. Yeah, that is just really weird to me. Now, Carol's family was not in big support of this relationship. And they felt like 
he was a really bad influence on her and she started doing stuff that she wouldn't normally do, you know, just kind of getting in trouble, just little stuff that it's like, no, he's changing you. And one day, you know, because he was so much older than her, Charlie was teaching Carol how to drive. Well, he had taken his dad's car without permission. Carol ended up wrecking the car. Oh, fuck. And I'm like, how did insurance work back then? (laughs) Right? Anyway, the things I think of. So his parents were like, look, this is the last straw. You dropped out of school. You're a fucking nuisance. You basically stole your dad's car, taught your girlfriend how to drive, and y'all crashed. So they kicked him out of the house. From there, Charlie gets a job at a warehouse. This is another thing that's really weird to me. Like, he goes and sees Carol all the time at school. I'm like, first of all, how's he there? I mean, I know that the rules were very different at schools back then, but I'm like, I don't know. I just picture her because she's so young and he's so much older than her. She's like literally on the playground and he's like coming up to be like, hey. I just picture like, again, you're not going to get this reference, but on Matilda, when she wants to go to school and so she sits outside of the school playground by the tree reading because she wants to go to school, but she can't. I picture that, but in a creepy way. Because he's a fucking adult and she's a child. Yeah, that's just weird. Because you know she's probably in like junior high. Yeah. I think it was on All That's Interesting because you know I love that fucking website. It was saying how in Nebraska, then and now, the age of consent is 16. So we know that this is creepy, but we also, this is illegal. Yeah. On November 3rd, 1957, Charlie goes to this gas station to buy Carol a stuffed animal. Because she's 13. Right, but also I'm like, at a gas station? But okay, who am I to judge? The guy that was working at the gas station, Robert Colvert, didn't sell it to him because Charlie wanted to buy it on credit. Do you remember that gas station here in town that you used to buy stuff on credit? And I used to think, I had this friend in junior high, that they lived down the street from it, and we could just go in there and get candy and whatnot and just put it on her dad's account, and he paid it off every month, you know? That, to me, was the epitome of rich. Never had that kind of service in my life. (laughs) Well, because we've never been rich in our lives. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. I know when Colby was younger, one of their, um, like a gas station somewhere, he would go in and get his dad's cigarettes for him, and they'd go on their account. But again, first of all, your kid couldn't go in and buy cigarettes for their parents now. But two, nobody's affording that fucking uh, layaway for anything. Uh -uh. (laughs) So the guy, I don't know if they just didn't offer that credit or he didn't know him and he didn't have an account set up. Unsure why. But Robert would not sell the stuffed animal to Charlie. So apparently the next day, Charlie goes back a couple of times and eventually goes back, you know, puts on a little hat because I forgot to mention he had like red hair, like very distinctive red hair. So Robert had just gotten back from the military and he had a wife who was pregnant, but piece of shit Charlie could not take the fact that he would not sell him the stuffed animal. So he robbed him at gunpoint. Only got like $100 from the register because apparently Robert hadn't worked there very long. And so he didn't know how to work the safe. So he couldn't get him any money out of that. So then Charlie takes him to the woods where he shoots and kills him. Why kill him? Like, I mean, don't rob anyone either, but like... And, and you know, maybe because... Well, because he's a piece of shit, but maybe because he thought he would recognize him and he literally like cased the joint and he literally cased the joint like four times that day. Yeah. So, I mean, he's pretty memorable with his hair and his, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, but like, what the fuck? Why This guy who served our country, who has a wife at home, who's pregnant and just in cold blood murders him yeah for no fucking reason because you didn't have enough money to buy your child Mm -hmm. girlfriend a freaking teddy bear it was just i I know it was a stuffed animal yeah i keep picturing a teddy bear too so carol i don't know if she went by carol ann or carol but carol lived at home with her mom and her stepdad and then she had a half sister who was only two You know, the part about her sister introducing her to Charlie, 
I don't know the relation as far as like how old she was or anything like that. I just know about Carol's mom, stepdad, and two-year-old half-sister. So on January 21st of 1958, Charlie goes over to Carol's house because he wants to hang out with her. Is this after he killed that person? Yeah, like a month and a half later. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Sorry, I was just thinking it was like... 30 minutes later? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. This was like a month and a half later. They don't know who killed Robert at this point. So we know that Carol's family was not a fan of their relationship. Well, he gets there and I guess her stepdad wouldn't let him in to see her. I honestly am am not very clear on what happened and I don't think anybody is because some stories say that Carol was there. Some stories say that she wasn't. But somehow, Charles slash Charlie, because you know that's what I call him, makes his way into the house and he shoots both her mom and her stepdad. What the fuck? Then he makes his way and he strangles and stabs her two-year-old half-sister. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we hate him. Yeah, he's literally the worst. Now, I do want to say this. If I have like one source that I get the bulk of the stuff from, I really want to highlight that, of course. But, you know, you can always see our references online. But wyominghistory.org, it's wyohistory.org. Leslie Weishman had an article on this that is so good. So go read it. But anyway. Now, okay, this is where we don't really know what Carol knows or what she doesn't know. Because Carol says she wasn't home and that she had tried to break up with Charlie before. He didn't take it very well. And that's kind of where things spun out of control. Which could be why he wanted to buy the stuffed animal and why he was so fixated on it. Like, no, if I buy her this, she'll be happy and we'll get back together. I mean, not her fault. Uh, But I don't think so because she said that she... Because see, the timeline's weird to me because... Like, some stuff says a couple of months ago, but then some stuff said that she broke up with him on January 19th, and he came to her house on January 21st, Mm. but he killed Robert in November. You know, so did she break up with him months ago or days ago? Which is it? Could have been both, though. True. She says that she was at school, and when she got home, the house was completely empty except Charlie being there, and that he basically held her captive. But later... She says that she didn't know that they were dead, but then he held her with what fear? Other than saying, you know, your parents are dead and so is your sister, Betty Jean. You know, like what, what other fear would it be to hold her at the house, you know? But for the next six days, they stayed in that house, playing house. So he had gotten the bodies out of that house? That one article in the Wyoming History said that the family was moved into an outbuilding on the property. I don't think it was like they were in the house or she they were and she got I don't I don't know that. Now, of course, this is six days of seeing no one. So people are like, wait, where's your family? Carol put a note on the door that said, Stay away, everybody is sick with the flu and signed it Miss Bartlett, which was her mom's married name. So her stepdad was Marion Bartlett, her mom was Velda Bartlett, and then her sister was Betty Jean Bartlett. If you believe her that she was held captive there with him, she said that she put the note up, and one of the ways that I saw the note written said, um, everybody's sick with the flu, F-L-U-E, it was spelled wrong, and she signed it, M-I-S-S Bartlett. So she wasn't fooling anybody. Well, see, I don't know because she said that because she like underlined the Miss Bartlett twice so that that was like a clue. Yeah, because the only Miss Bartlett like M-I-S-S in that house is the two year old. Yeah, because she's not a Bartlett because that's her stepdad's last name. Yeah. So the only a two year old didn't write that damn sign. But when people would come by the house or call, Carol's the one that said, like, hey, we're sick. Like, don't come by. Everything's fine. Yada, yada, yada. Well, eventually, Carol's grandma was like, something's wrong. Like, I'm about to call the police. I I don't know if she told Carol that or, like, how that came about. But old Charlie and Carol got the 411 of people were wanting this information and they're about to call the police. So they ended up fleeing from the house. They flew? Yeah. So they went to Bennett, Nebraska. Now, the reason why they chose there is because there was a guy that lived there named August Meyer. 
August Meyer was a family friend, just this really nice 70-year-old man that was, a fa- like I said, a family friend. Very friendly. And when... He's really friendly, huh, Kate? I hate you. And when the pair knocked on his door, he didn't think anything of it. He was like, hey, come on in. So they tell him that their car's stuck in the mud. And he's like, oh my God, do you want to borrow my horse to help like get your car out of the mud? And they're like, we sure do. And so they start making their way to the stables with August Meyer. Now, this is a lot, so just get ready. If they harm the fucking horses, I'm done. So Charlie pulls out his shotgun and he kills August Meyer. Bless it. Then he takes his shotgun and beats August's dog to death. No, no, no. Fuck you, Charlie. Fuck you. So bad he even breaks his shotgun. Oh my God, no, why, why, why? I don't know. Like, what? Like, it just proves how shitty. Like, of course, you're a shit human being for killing another human. Especially some gentle old man like August Meyer who was literally just trying to help you. Helping you, yeah. For no reason. But to do that to an animal, there's just something different. Yes. I mean, you heard my reaction. That was legit. I know. I just could never hurt another dog unless they were coming at Marley. Oh, yeah. Or you even. I mean, if it's it's to protect yourself. But even then, like, it makes my stomach hurt even thinking of it. Yes. From there, they leave August Meyer's house. And I'm pretty sure they're hitchhiking at this point. Like, why, though? Why kill him? This is just pointless. I don't know if maybe their car really was stuck in the mud. And so now they're hitchhiking because... They killed him from being able to... I I don't... Honestly, I don't know. Oh, my God. At this point, he's just on a spree. So, 17-year-old Robert Jensen and his girlfriend, Carol King, who is 16, stop and offer Charlie and original Carol a ride. And they say, oh, do you and your daughter need a ride, sir? Right. Well, unfortunately, Charlie rapes Carol King and kills both Robert Jensen and Carol King. What the absolute fuck? And then they put their bodies in a storm cellar. So they steal Robert Jensen's car at this point. It's really weird that his first victim was named Robert, and then his girlfriend was named Carol. Yeah. Lots of Roberts and Carols in this story. Mm -hmm. But his girlfriend, Carol, is spelled C-A-R-I-L. So like I said, they had Robert Jensen's car at this point, and they go looking for a place to hide out. They end up going to a nicer neighborhood and basically just picked a house. They stop at C. Lauer Ward's house and promptly kill him, his wife Clara, and Lillian Fensel, who was their maid. Oh my God, just senseless. Fucking cold-blooded killers. Literally for no reason. You have a car, just fucking sleep in your car. Yeah. I guess maybe he felt like that car was too risky, so he wanted to ditch it. And so he went to the ward's house and killed them and then ended up stealing their car. No, I feel like that, how you were saying earlier that he thought he was better than everyone, he probably wanted a nicer car. You're so right. Well, from there, though, he, like I said, he takes the ward's car and they leave Nebraska and they decide that they're going to go to Washington State because Charlie has a brother that lives there. They get about 10 hours away to Douglas, Wyoming, when from there, Charlie really does decide, okay, this car, it's too hot. Like, they're dead. We stole it. We got to ditch this. So they pull off and just happen to see this guy sleeping in his car on the side of the road. His name was Merrill Collison. So Merrill was a shoe salesman from Montana, 37 years old, and literally was just napping on the side of the road. I mean, I feel like you've done that before. Oh, 1,000% at a rest stop. I have pulled off. Like when I was driving back and forth to Tampa for grad school, I would get tired and I would stop at a a rest stop and just take a 30-minute power nap in my car. Yeah, that's so fucking scary. So Merrill was awoken to a tap, tap, tap on the window. And when he woke up, Charlie promptly shot him through the side window and told him, get the fuck out the car. 
okay, so if you're saying, oh, that car's hot and all, why were you going to shoot out? Like, there's going to be a bullet hole on this one. Well, I think, like, that side window was down and he, like, shot through oh, it. okay, okay, okay. Well, because, you know, it's 1956. I don't know that the cars had AC. True. So he was, like, yeah. sleeping with, I'm sure, one of the windows down for Yeah, air. okay. Well, because you said you tap, tap. He did, but it, it said, like, he, like, shot through the side window. Yeah, that makes sense now. But I was just, like... I mean, I get that they're running plates. That's what he's talking about, too, like being hot. Mm-hmm. But um, just switch out the plates. He's sleeping. Just take the plate. Yes. Well, when this happened, Merrill was like, I'm not getting out of this car. Like, he's like shooting at me like I'm not. So Charlie starts shooting multiple rounds into the car at this point. So around this time, a guy named Joe Sprinkler saw that there were two cars parked on the side of the highway. So he pulls off to help them. Can we just take a minute and all agree that his favorite dance was the sprinkler? Okay, so one of my favorite things of this article from the wildminghistory.com or org, anyway, is this part. So Charlie is trying to drive Merrill's car at this point. So Joe Sprinkler had, you know, pulled up to see if they needed help. And Charlie asked him for help because they needed him to help release this newfangled emergency brake. Oh, my gosh. So he could not get the brake off because yeah. it's new, but you always say newfangled. And so yes. I was like, oh, my God, Donna's going to love that. <laughs> I love that. But he could not figure out how to get the emergency brake off. So Joe Sprinkler is like, yeah, I'll help you, not realizing that all the things are happening. But is there not blood everywhere? Well, so Meryl's body is like stuffed under the dashboard. And it was, he kind of finally started realizing, like, wait, there's a body and there's a shotgun and, like, wait, 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 So a fight breaks out. And Joe is, like, he's, like, got a shotgun trained on me. Like, if I do not win this fight, I'm going to die. So they start fighting, like, wrestling with the gun. Now, Joe Sprinkler's six feet tall, you know, much stronger than 5'5", Charlie. So out of pure... Luck, as they're wrestling for this shotgun, a deputy sheriff named William Romer drives up. Whoa. And as soon as he gets there, he just sees Carol hightail it out of the car. And she runs to him and she's screaming like, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's already killed somebody. Like, oh my God, come help me. He's going to kill me. So at this point, Charlie jumps into the car and bolts out of the area. Well, the sheriff stays back with Carol because she's like escaped and, you know, so he radios like, hey, because Carol told him who Charlie was. Because at this point, they've like found bodies and, you know, there's this uh, basically all out manhunt. So the deputy radios for help and tells them, look, hey, I found Charlie and this is where he's heading. So they immediately set up roadblocks, which of course he does not stop, and they begin a high-speed chase. I mean, at this point, they're going like 100 miles an hour through downtown. Like, it is like high-speed chase. And I'm picturing, he's in like a 56 Packard. Like, picture these old 50s cars going 100 fucking miles an hour. It does not corner like it's on rails. Right? I'm thinking Greece. Yes. Literally, Yes. So they're doing this high-speed chase, and the police shoot out the back window. Glass goes everywhere. And all of a sudden, Charlie slams on brakes. So, of course, everybody does. Guns are drawn. There's pew-pew happening all over the place. And Charlie gives up. You know why he gives up? He thought he was bleeding to death. He thought he was shot when all it was was like two itty-bitty scratches from the glass being blown out. Wow. The sheriff literally says, like, that's the kind of coward he is. That, you know, he can kill all these people, but a little glass hits him, and he literally thinks he's bleeding to death, so he shuts it all down. Yeah. That seems really on par with how he acts. So Charlie gets sent back to Nebraska to face murder charges. Now, people don't know what to make of Carol. They don't know, did she really know? Did she participate? Was she really being held captive? Was she a victim in all of this too? Or did she play a part? Because at first, Charlie was saying that she didn't know anything. She didn't participate in anything. 
not long after the whole ordeal, like four months, he is actually found guilty and sentenced to death. Then just June of the next year, Charles Starkweather was executed. It just is mind-boggling how quickly that happened. Whether you believe in death penalty or not, that's not the point. The point is people will sit on death row for 20 years now, 20 plus years. And he was tried, convicted, and put to death within a year and a half. Yeah, they didn't play back then. No, they definitely didn't. Which is why so many innocent people were put to death, which is why people sit on death row for 20 years now. Carol's situation was a little bit different because, again, people didn't know what to make of it. People had a really hard time understanding that she had all these chances to leave. You know, Charlie even says that, like, those six days that they spent playing house in her dead family's house were the best days of his life. So it's like, "Mm, did she participate? You know, at one point he said she didn't. But then at one point he was like, she actually killed somebody. So we don't really know for sure. Carol maintained her innocence throughout. But again, people just could not understand why she didn't try to escape. But also, I feel like they would have a hard time trying to understand how a 13-year-old girl could be evil and kill these people and all the things. So it's like, why didn't she try to leave? If she was scared, she could have just ran. And then the other people are like, yeah, but how can a kid kill anyone? And she's a girl. She's just young. And you know what I mean? I don't know what to make of it. Because we do know that you're just trying to live. So if you have to do what you have to do to survive the person who's killing people for no reason. Right. And, you know, when she saw the sheriff, the first thing she did was jump out of the car and say, he's going to hurt me. He's killed people. But also, I mean, what a perfect opportunity to be like, oh, Uh sheriff, he's going to kill me. You know, exactly. I think because we're looking at it from us being like this year Mm -hmm. and we know how people can be like, oh, my God, they killed my whole family, but they planned it or like they put it in their head. We could be together if it wasn't for my mom and dad. Right. Well, and one of the police officers said that she had clippings in her pocket, like from articles about her family's death. So to me, that could go either way, too. Like she knew everything and she was like happy about it and help plan it Uh or she was distraught and was trying to keep her family close to her like i literally could see that going both ways yeah but it's weird to me that charlie flipped on her you know because at first he was saying she was innocent but then he was like she killed a couple of people yeah well he was probably thinking if i can't have her no one can or like i'm not going down by myself she fucking did this too true yeah well she did go down They ended up trying her, and she was sentenced to life in prison. Now, she only spent 18 years in prison and then was paroled in 1976. You know, good behavior and such. Yeah. Carol eventually moved on and got married. She changed her name to Carol Ann Claire, changed the spelling of C-A-R-O-L, and and then Claire is C-L-A-I-R. In 1996, she asked the Nebraska Board of Pardons to pardon her, and they denied her request. Now, basically, the next request that she could make was February of 2020, but she still maintains her innocence. Um, There's some stuff about this in pop culture. Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska is based off the murder. Um, Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire references Starkweather Homicide. Oh, my God. And then the movie California with Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis um, is based on this. Natural Born Killers by Oliver Stone is based on this. But it's almost like, because he had that, like, James Dean bad boy, it's almost like they had, like, a Bonnie and Clyde type going, you know? Yeah. But again, was she a victim or was she a participant? I don't know. I always have such trouble... I mean, she's doing it because he's going to kill her if she doesn't kill someone. Right. But then also, she's killing someone. So, it's so hard. Well, and, you know, she did try to break up with him at one point, and then he came and killed her family. But did she break up with him? Because she had to, because her parents didn't. You know, it's like, 
I don't, I don't know. Well, sorry to interrupt, but with that, you could say she, who, who knows, we're given this 13 year old, like genius level thinking, you know, not yeah. genius, but you know what I mean? But maybe she wasn't that strategic in all of that. But if you could think about like how she's going to sway him would be, I have to break up with you. This can't happen. My parents won't let it. And again, like planting that seed. Yeah. I don't think it was that because I can't remember where I saw this, but it was like a quote of him being like, I wanted to be a criminal, but not this big of a criminal. And then like all the pictures and stuff that you see of him right after he's arrested, he uses like shoe polish to paint his hair black. So like in some pictures he has dark hair because he's like trying to be James Dean and they're out on the run and blah, blah, blah. Who is he? That guy from uh, A Crime to Remember? Right. That greased his hair. Yes. And made a mole that was way too big. I don't know. Because part of me is like, I don't know if I believe that she knew or had anything to do with her parents' death. But if she didn't, then how could she know or have anything to do with all the rest? Because if she didn't know about her parents' death and she really was in that house living in fear, then she wouldn't have participated in all the... Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, let's go on a crime spree. Yeah, I don't know, because, you know, my in my head, I'm making this movie, like everyone else, I just made a movie about it. But I'm just thinking that he wanted to hurt people, like how the bullies and all of that, he like wanted to give it back to him how he could and mm-hmm. all of that. But it's kind of like those two found each other. And if she wanted like her parents gone and she wanted to do other things, well, then she's found this guy who wants to do bad things. Mm-hmm. And if she had any sway over him or whatever, she could do it. And it was kind of like the best of both worlds. Yeah, I don't I don't see her having sway over him, though, with his calling it narcissistic attitude, for lack of a better word, of always thinking he was better than everybody else. And like, after he worked at that newspaper, he got a job as a garbage man and always felt like he was way better than that job. And I'm like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, it's a fucking job. That doesn't mean that you're less than or having a different job doesn't make you better than right well y'all let us know what you think did pearl have disassociative identity disorder 97 percent sure that's what it's called but donna gave me a look so now i'm unsure well i know it's changed from multiple okay it's that okay 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 yeah it used to be multiple personalities not anymore but now i'm like is that what i called it earlier it's not because when i said it earlier i was like that's not the word But I went with it because, you know, I just play a a psychologist on the podcast. I don't actually know what I'm talking about. But I'm 97% sure it's disassociative identity disorder. Okay, DID. So, does she have that? Was Patience real? Did Carol actually participate? Or was she a victim herself? Let us know what y'all think. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things, and remember. Creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.